Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. Great news! Ohio now has abortion access temporarily restored after a temporary restraining order was granted by a judge in Hamilton County. Hamilton County judge was ruling on a temporary restraining order request from a couple of parties in a lawsuit challenging the six-week ban in Ohio. That is the ban on any abortion after six weeks of uh, pregnancy, six weeks last menstrual period, to be precise. Um, and the judge basically came forward and said, yeah, I think this... Um, lawsuit has merit and I think folk are likely to succeed on the merits and I think that there is enough damage that could be done by in allowing this law to stay intact in the meantime that I'm going to grant a 14 day temporary restraining order on the ban so if you're confused about that and about anything that I just said or like your eyes are starting to glaze over like oh my god what what is really going on like that's the state of play in Ohio right now. That is the way of our life and will be likely for um, at least the next couple of years. Lots of confusion, lots of what exactly happened, what's going on. Here's the bottom line. Abortion, as of the dropping of the Dobbs decision back in June, had been limited down to six weeks of access. It is now expanded to 21 weeks and six days from your last menstrual period. And that's very important uh, piece to remember that when we're talking about weeks and days and timelines and gestation bans, it's all about calculating pregnancy from the last menstrual period. All of this is so confusing and it's so frustrating. And even though we're rejoicing right now that Ohio has this temporary reprieve, that might turn into a more, um, I won't say a longer reprieve. It's, it's, a, it's a longer temporary reprieve, really. Even though all of that is true, the reality is this confusion that you're experiencing, that we're experiencing all together, it's part of the long-term plan for anti-abortion zealots. Mm -hmm. Anti-abortion zealots primarily have a love affair with confusion. They want everybody to be confused about what is available, what isn't available, what is legal, what's not legal around abortion, because their main goal is to make people so frustrated and absolutely so worked up and so unable to understand what's going on that they just stop seeking the care they want. And we're here on this episode of Our Soul, Kelly and Terry with you again. <laughs> To talk about what it's like to live in confusion in the state of yeah. Ohio. Kelly, are you thoroughly confused right now? Always. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I I think that when I saw the news about this temporary reprieve, um, I like I know people, I have people in my life who already are confused about the way things are and like um, do not know what their access is is in Ohio post Dobbs. Like, I think kind of the assumption was like, there is no access anymore. Um, and as I mean, like, unless you're in that six week window, uh, before this temporary restraining order, that was true. 
Um, but I think like there is so much uh, lack of clear information and so much misinformation that like it is it is really confusing. Um, and I think if I didn't have people like you around, probably wouldn't know what was going on either. Um, but when you were talking, something that I thought of uh, was this big word that we've or this big phrase that we've talked about before on this podcast, I believe. Um, Christian anti intellectualism <laughs> mm, more big <laughs> um, words <laughs> such a big word um and uh i learned about this in seminary um when we when we were talking about kind of this like this it, it's not necessarily it's kind of like a culture in my opinion i don't know maybe you'll have more to say on this terry but uh it's like this thought that you you follow what the church tells you and you don't dig in deeper. And this is one of the things that I like dislike about uh, Christian culture in many spaces is this like lack of encouragement of people doing their own research and doing their own understanding of faith and like what that means to them. And so, you know, I think about like how... Um, a lot of people have been turned off from that and then have just left faith altogether. Um, but um, I also think about like how people who are in those cultures and maybe don't like have not had the space to think about it or have not had the space to do their own research, um, how they there's a lot of stuff that they don't know. And you like you you don't have access unless you know that you have access, you know. So like if you just understand that in the Christian faith, like oh, wives are always subservient to their husbands then, and you don't are, or are not given the space to confront that and think about the, what that means for you. And if you even want to be as a, like I'm speaking from a femme perspective, if you even want to be <laughs> uh, in a marriage or want to be subservient or if you like whatever, uh, if you don't have the space to even question that, then like you're always going to live under whatever thing that you were told. And that's kind of how, I mean, I it seems kind of like a stretch, but I think that it's related to this kind of lack of information of the, of the public or uh, lack of um, sharing of information with the public where the public doesn't, is, is left to be in confusion or left to just trust that legislators know what they're doing, which 95% of the time from what I've learned being in this work, they, they don't, or maybe they do know what they're doing and are specifically being terrible. Word, word, word. The most, the two most common types of legislators in Ohio are legislators who know that they're doing uh, evil things and do them anyway and legislators that don't know they're doing evil things and are never, ever going to know because they enjoy just being completely ignorant. Um, mm -hmm. the, the conversation about Christian anti-intellectualism, uh, $5 seminary words, everybody, um, <laughs> is I, I think it's really profound because I come from a tradition that was very anti-intellectual, like the tradition of my upbringing, right? Um, kind of that, you know... We don't need no book learning. We just got the Bible, and that's good enough for us, right? And you know, there there is this level of um, in in Christian scripture. There's this level of 
um, a witness that tries to supplant um, earthly or worldly uh, power and put in its place the individual and the common person, right? Which I think is is a good tradition, right? It's it's a really good tradition to say like, okay, all the people with wealth and power and privilege are not the people who ought to be centered in our society. We have to center ordinary everyday people. The trouble though is when that becomes like oversold or too much of a good thing, right? Where people begin to say, ah, any kind of intellectualism as a mark of uh, privilege or status is bad. So it's bad to be smart. It's bad to have, you know, book learning or, you know, educational standards or, um, you know, it's bad to have beliefs that are difficult to articulate, right? Because that shows weakness if it's not simple, if it's not plain in front of you. And, you know, I think about the the verse from Proverbs is always, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs, I think it's 3, 5. So, like, that idea of everything that I need to know, I already have, and it's very plain, it's very simple, and therefore, anything that's confusing is just wrong, right? It's not that I don't understand it. It's not that maybe I need to work on understanding. It's not that you know, perhaps I am just not smart enough in this moment to understand these things. If it's confusing, it is wrong. That is the gospel for many people in these rigid religious systems, particularly fundamentalist Christianity. And that kind of gets played off in the strategy of trying to manipulate people into thinking that if something is confusing, then it must be wrong or bad or evil, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the restrictions then that a lot of these fundamentalist Christians try to put on abortion, they put restrictions on abortion in intentionally confusing ways in an effort to convey that feeling of, oh, because this is so confusing, it must be wrong. Because this is so confusing, it must be evil, Right. And if you can't plainly understand, you know, the legality of something or, uh, you know, whether or not something is um, available to you, accessible to you, then, you know, you you must just, um, you know, have a problem in yourself. Like there must be something Mm -hmm. wrong with you. And it is this gross manipulative kind of process that um, these anti-abortion folks really have have sculpted into a finely honed tool, right? The ability to try to restrict, okay, how many how many weeks are you able to have an abortion? Well, you know, we're at 21 weeks and six days, 19 weeks in some places, 15 weeks is the, the Lindsey Graham ban, right? right? They're just drawing all kinds of numbers out of all kinds of places. They come up with whatever number they want, they pick it out, they throw it onto people, they make these requirements, and then it's your fault if you can't figure them out. It's your fault if you're confused. It's your fault if you can't keep up with the constantly changing legislative standards of people who want to control other people's bodies in the name of religion. And it's total BS, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're sitting here at a place right now where the moment that temporary restraining order was passed on a Wednesday, right, 
Wednesday the 14th, so it goes from the 14th to the 28th, right? And if, if no intervening action is taken, <clears throat> it will expire on the 28th, and we'll go back to only being allowed to, you know, have abortion up to six weeks last menstrual period in Ohio, right? But right now, the moment that went into effect, clinics began receiving calls all day long. Their phones are ringing mm-hmm. off the hook. There's a, an article in Ohio Capital Journal about that today. Um, clinics began to receive all these phone calls primarily because people wanted care and were like, oh, I can get care at home instead of having to travel to New York or, you know, Chicago or any other place that we've been sending them through the Jubilee Fund, FYI, doing a lot of that work in the past 10 weeks. But (laughs) the other piece of all those calls is not just people wanting access to appointments, but people who aren't sure they're able to access. So they're calling clinics to be like, okay, am I allowed to do this? Like, is it okay for me to get an abortion right now? Or am I going to have to go out of state? That whole system of like over flooding clinics with phone calls due to confusion is part of the strategy of anti-abortion zealots to wear clinics down, to wear out clinic staff, to wear out patients. And they're just going to keep doing it again and again and again and again here, especially in the short term. We know that we're not going to see any like major movement on abortion legislation in Ohio, at least in our legislature, until after the November election. Right, The majority party is going to pretend that it's moderate until the election, and then it's going to have seven weeks of lame duck session. Lame duck session is the time after the election, but before the installation of the new legislature, where the old legislature just gets to do whatever it wants without having to worry about getting reelected because either they already did or they already didn't, and it doesn't matter. So that seven-week period is going to be the time where we see really horrible abortion bans get passed in Ohio, maybe a total abortion ban, and then we're right back to the same situation that we're in right now with the six-week ban, only in a different court case and with perhaps a different judge and maybe with a different temporary restraining order, maybe not. It is sheer chaos, right? Yeah. That, that chaos is paralyzing for patients. Patients who are trying to do the best they can in the situation, whatever situation they find themselves in, they're just trying to be able to make decisions about their own health care and their own bodies. And they have the entire Ohio legislature, um, the ma- well, I won't say the entire legislature, <laughs> the, majority. the majority of the legislature, the supermajority, the gerrymandered supermajority of the legislature. Yeah. And, you know, other uh, anti-abortion religious people piled on their backs. Like, yeah. Why? Why is this the world we've created for ourselves, Ohio? We could do so much better than this. And I think, like, on top of that, like, you know, going back to this anti-intellectualism, like, for one, I I think about, like, how, how many patients may continue to think, like, oh, it's not legal in Ohio, and so have to spend money, time off, child care, all of that, <clears throat> getting an out-of-state abortion or feeling like they're stuck um, being pregnant and, and going through with the pregnancy. Um, 
I just think like there's so much lack of information that people are and like, you know, I know that we're trying and like other people are trying to make things more clear, but it is not helpful when you have the force of this super majority and anti-abortion people on top of that. And also when I think about um, people who are anti-abortion and I also think about like people who have moved from that mindset into uh, like a pro-choice or even a pro-abortion mindset. And uh, I think about like how you were talking about like how, oh, if it's complicated, then it must be wrong. Right. And the, I think this is the, the thing that anti-abortion people have is this, this simplicity in, I put that in quotes for for those who are not Terry and cannot see me, um, but the simplicity of being uh, anti-abortion, you know, oh, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm not going to repeat their language, but everybody knows like what they say that their stance is, um, you know, thinking that is as simple as life, like a human life. Um, but it's not that simple. And like all of it, like what is being left out, they boil down their anti-abortion point to, oh, we're saving kids. But when you actually look at it, unboiled down in its raw form, what you see is <laughs> like control over uh, people who are in poverty. You see control over people of color. You see control over... Uh, like just class structure and what and what you don't see is care for the children who are born what you don't see is protection for children who are in their own neighborhoods and uh interacting with law enforcement and the the thing that the anti-abortion people are trying to simple it down to is like put on those blinders and focus on oh it's just about there being a birth you know, we talk about like uh, anti-abortion people being uh, forced birthers. <laughs> and I mean, like, because if you if you simplify it, if you make it easy, if you go with this, like, um, you know, lean not on your own understanding, trust what the people who are in charge are telling you and they make it sound really simple. And if you if you try to expand it out, it gets more complicated. And if you have this mindset of things that are complicated are wrong, then like. Why would you ever expand your horizons? Why would you ever think beyond that's like the the blinders that people have put on you? And see, now th this is the part where like just trigger warning for anybody who has had, you know, church drama or trauma. I will I will give it that way. Um, th this is the place that frustrates me as an openly queer person in Appalachia, right? Because fundamentalism has always had plenty of answers to questions I never had, right? Like, they they want to produce, like, this very clear version of the world that is ultra-clarity, there is no confusion, there is no decision-making that you really have to worry about because everything is perfectly clear in front of you. Mm -hmm. The problem with that system is... When you do have a real crisis, when you have a struggle in your life that is something that the, the leadership or the system or the hierarchy or the patriarchy has not thought about ahead of time, that religious system becomes totally effing useless to you. Yeah. Yeah. And th there is nothing that it can provide to you to give comfort, solace, or compassion 
when it has decided this is not a problem that you're allowed to have, right? This is not a problem that that people have. It's not something that happens, right? And we have heard this in, you know, anti-abortion rhetoric all the time. Like, you know, the moment you start talking about, well, okay, you're going to ban all abortion from the point of conception, does that mean for everybody? Like, rape, incest, life of the patient? And immediately, the moment folks start talking about those exceptions, and, like, I want to be clear here, like, I don't think we should have to justify people's abortions. I don't mm-hmm. think rape, incest, life of the patient should be, like, in any way the criteria that we evaluate how other people make decisions about their bodies. However, the moment you address that to hardcore anti-abortion folk, the abolish human abortion people, right, they will say, oh, but those are very small in terms of numbers, a very, very small percentage of abortions. Uh-huh. And it's like, but but, but you're still- telling me that it's okay to just make sure that a small portion of people don't have access to care that you admit they need. Because what you're saying when you say that's just a small percentage, you're saying, I concede your, your central point, which is that some people, even in my narrow-minded anti-abortion system, mm-hmm. deserve abortion care. Mm-hmm. But you're willing to sacrifice those people for the sake of your own feelings and your own emotional security to pretend that the world is simple. And that is toxic. That is disgusting, right? What what is not being said out loud, the quiet part that is not being said out loud is that those people don't matter. Word. Like, those people, yeah, they should have care, and yeah, it's a messed up situation that they're in, but sucks. Guess those people have to deal with it guess people like just it doesn't matter and and like the fact that that quiet part is not said out loud is what allows for people to continue to be misinformed um because when you're taught not to think beyond what people are telling you and you're taught not to question things and you're taught to you know trust the lord and lean not on your own understanding then you'll you don't think about the quiet part that's not being said out loud and you know i think like a lot of people who are in those kind of christian cultures are taught to trust the church and to believe that the church will care for you and um, be there for you and then think that about like christian spaces but then what happens when somebody abuses that space because it happens. And just because a person says that they're a Christian does not mean that they're a good person. And it does not mean that they're a person who is trustworthy. But when you're taught to just blindly lean into, like, the authorities that have been defined by who, who who chose, like, how do you know that the, the people who chose who is in authority also chose those people in good faith? And we're not also living from a blind uh, space. I... I, um, when we were talking about this, I thought about like, uh, in seminary, uh, I did a couple of projects where I had to talk about like, what was, um, my sources of moral authority, um, which there are 
There are a variety of, you know, there's like, uh, gosh, I'm going to forget them now that I'm trying to talk about them, but like scripture, tradition, experience, uh, moral imagination and reason. Reason's the one that I always forget. But, um, I, for the, I struggled honestly with, uh, writing about my sources of moral authority and, um, naming like what my sources were for each of those sections, because when it came to scripture, so many times scripture had been used to uh, exclude me or gaslight me or make me feel like I'm not as smart or as worthy to be in leadership um, or to think for myself. And so I literally like had to write about, especially as a person who's experienced trauma um, in several ways, uh, having to write about like why I can't like in good conscience say that scripture has always been a good source of moral authority for me because the way that it has been taught to me, the way that it has been skewed in my, um, experience has been one that has not been life-giving for me. And so like, you know, these, But then you have, like, like I think about, like, if I had not been, if I had not gone to, um, you know, a a school that taught me to think uh, deeper into the text that I was reading. You know, I I have a literature degree. And so a lot of that was about analysis. And I think that analysis led me to thinking deeper about just, like, things in general. And as somebody who was a pastor at the time and then going to seminary, and thinking about like the places that I had worked at and the people that I had worked uh, with who wouldn't say the quiet part out loud. But what I was hearing was, uh, I don't want you to show up in your fullness. I don't want you to show up as queer or show up as black. You need to put yourself into the box that I have put you into. And I think like... um, like, I, I just wonder sometimes, like, where I would be and where other people who may have a similar growing up experience to me uh, are if I had not had that experience of um, expanding my horizons. And to hear things <clears throat> like, trust the Lord and lean not on your own understanding from people who then want to tell you what trusting the Lord means, right? Uh-huh. That trust the Lord is interpreted through, you know, generations of really skewed tradition or really skewed reason in a church setting. Like the same people who, when we talk about abortion, will say, trust the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. They would get really, really offended if we would come to them and say, trust abortion seekers and lean not on your own understanding, right? Like trust people with their own bodies and don't think that you know what their situation Mm -hmm. requires. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the link for me. Yeah. And I, I think about like just so much, I think about like this difference between the, the God that I've now learned about and specifically the Christ that I've now learned about and the Christ that I was brought up with. I think about like how in the church that I served, there was this big picture of like white Jesus opening a door 
um, and how people like looked up to that and thought that that was Jesus. But the one that I care about is the one that like flips tables and tells like the woman that people tried to stone that like you can go because I, the person who has not sinned, uh, am not going to stone you. Like this radical forgiveness and this radical care for people, that's God for me. Um, and it, it sucks that people, not enough people have seen brown Jesus um, and are settling for white Jesus. And that sucks. And in the same way, not enough people are aware of the the potential for access. A lot of people are not aware of like what is available to them. And so they're just missing out and settling for, I'm going to have to go out of state or I'm going to have to, you know, deal with pregnancy in that way. This was a good conversation and um, we're out of time. So I will, we will be back in two weeks. Um, and I guess we'll know then how this whole situation has panned out. Thank you for listening so. to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org. 